0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon. I serve as one of the pastors and elders here at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined this morning by my dear friend and senior pastor of Emmaus Road Church, Ryan Chase, and uh, coming to you live from Emmaus Road office studios. <laughs> not live. <laughs> well, okay. not live. Okay, maybe not live, but it feels live, but it's sweet to be in this room. We are alive. Yeah, we are alive. We're in a real room not in a closet somewhere. <laughs> well, it feels like a closet. It's small, but it gets the job done. So okay. it's sweet. We thank the Lord for his provision of this space. Yes. And here we are, able to discuss these things. And uh, If you've been at Emmaus for the past couple weeks in the new year, uh, we have been preaching through what we are calling the Habits of Grace series, something we do every year, try and seek to uh, develop and reorient our vision for the year around these Habits of Grace Um and this year, in particular,ly we've looked, sought to look at corporate habits of grace. So, gathering together on a on a Sunday, uh, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and uh, I think this Sunday you were preaching on right. church discipline, which is mm-hmm. exciting. Oh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. not, not the church discipline exciting, <laughs> but mm-hmm. a key point. That's right. Um, and so we just recognize that as we go through these, um, likely there's just no way for us as pastors, us as preachers, to be able to um, to Get go through or answer all the questions. Um, one, time doesn't allow. But two, it's not really the point of preaching. Mm. The point of preaching is not to uh, is not the same as like a lecture, mm-hmm. uh, seeking to just transfer information from minds to minds. But the point of preaching is to herald and exalt and declare God's word for us, for us to respond. Mm-hmm. So, with that key category, we just recognize that's not the context usually for like a deep dive discussion into the exegetical nuances of why we believe what we believe about the, uh, about baptism and the Lord's Supper and mm-hmm. so forth. So we thought it'd be prudent um, to try and use this time to fill that out a little bit uh, for for baptism, uh, likely for the Lord's Supper, and, and also for church discipline to, mm-hmm. to be able to try and go a little deeper. Again, will not answer all the questions, um, but the aim of this podcast is to try and clarify what we mean and what we believe, but ultimately our, our goal is to unify and, and to have unity in our church mm-hmm. around what we believe. Um, that should be the point of these doctrines and of these... In fact, that is the point of the sacraments that we've... Yeah. I think we've both said this in our sermons, The the point of, the, of baptism and the Lord's Supper is to bring unity to the body. Which Amazing. is hilarious, given they are probably the two most divisive... Contentious. Contentious. that what's, When you can think of all the differences between the denominations, it's likely tied back to something here. Yeah. Um, so we want unity. Um, but in this, we recognize our context at Emmaus Road Church geographically is different than every, you know, other contexts. Um, for instance... I am grew up in the Christian Reformed Church. I'm a Dutch kid. I grew up reading the Heidelberg Catechism, the Belgic Confession of Faith, and the Canons of Dort. Um, and I, you know, I studied those, grew up loving those, and then now I'm a pastor in <laughs> Sovereign Grace, which is different. Mm. Um, and maybe you are listening to this podcast, and you you are a faithful uh, member or faithful regular tender and love Emmaus Road Church, um, but yet grew up like I did, or still hold some of those convictions. Um, and you were potentially baptized as an infant and wondering, okay, well, given what you just preached on Mm. and given the statement of faith and given everything else, what are we to do? (laughs) Where where do I stand? Are we okay? What about my my children? What what about them? Um, So our aim here is to, I don't know, to encourage and (laughs) and to unify, hopefully. Um, So let's start with that, Ryan. First of all, in this podcast, you know, we want to clarify what we mean. Mm-hmm. We want to clarify what we believe about baptism and probably how that differs. Uh, we're just going to pick probably a common, um, you know, there's, there's other views of baptism that people in our church might, might relate to, but we're going we're gonna to focus on what the Heidelberg Catechism says about baptism and how we would differ. Mm-hmm. So uh, l- let's start with, how should we start? We should we start with Heidelberg or with us?
1: Oh, yeah. You can, yeah. Start with Heidelberg. Okay, great. Uh,
0: the Heidelberg Catechism is beautiful. I think let's just start there. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's so devotional. It's it, it's 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 other than the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith, it is my favorite catechism mm-hmm. because it's so beautiful. It's so so devotional. So heart ah, just makes causes you to treasure Christ. And how can a catechism do that? Mm-hmm. But it does. Um, and we were talking before we turn on the mics. I think what ninety eight percent of the Catechism of the Heidelberg we would read and affirm wholeheartedly, yes and amen. Um, but the section that deals with baptism for the uh, for the Christian Reformed Church, the Dutch Reformed Church, uh, falls into Lord's Day twenty seven. So for all you who've got your catechisms out, we're in Lord's Day twenty seven. Question and answer seventy two through seventy four. Um, 72 and 73, question and answer, those are, we would agree totally. Mm-hmm. Does the outward washing of water itself wash away sins? No. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. So that would separate you know, the Christian Reformed Church, the Reformed Churches from the Catholic Churches and some Lutheran mm-hmm. denominations uh, where...
1: Where grace is so tied yes. to the sacrament, to the water, that faith is not necessary. Just the application of the water right. causes... Faith. The, or, or, the, the washing away of sins, salvation, good. regeneration.
0: Yeah. And that would also separate sovereign grace. We, we would also join with with the Catechism, the Heidelbergans, because in our statement of faith, it also says that yeah. grace is not so tied to the action that one can be saved only through it. Yeah. Um, so that's helpful. Uh, question and answer 73 just kind of elaborates on that. But here in question and answer 74 is the key one. Uh, question Should infants too be baptized? Answer. Yes, infants as well as adults belong to God's covenant and congregation. Through Christ's blood, the redemption from sin and the Holy Spirit, who works faith, are promised to them no less than to adults. Therefore, by baptism, as a sign of the covenant, they must be incorporated into the Christian church and distinguished from the children of unbelievers. This was done in the old covenant by circumcision, in place of which baptism was instituted in the new covenant." Uh, Hmm. So that, that would be the primary question and answer that we would just disagree mm-hmm. with. Um, and it's not a disagreement of just, we just don't like it, uh, but a disagreement rather of uh, of, a, of an exegetical...
1: Yeah, the exegesis reading. of the texts, which are footnoted in the Heidelberg there.
0: Correct. And uh, Cornelis Vonk, uh, a well-known um, Dutch Reformed theologian, he, he in his commentary on the Catechism, he gives three reasons, three defenses... Uh, why children of Christians ought to be baptized. One, children belong in the covenant because of the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 17. We'll go to that in a second. Uh, number two, the children uh, in the ch- children in Exodus or in I guess it would be Deuteronomy and Joshua, it was the children of those who were saved from Egypt that received the promised land. It mm-hmm. wasn't the
1: the people who walked out of Egypt it was the children of them that, so that Exodus generation disbelieved correct they were kept out of the promised land but their children inherited the promised land that's right
0: yep so there's a that shows a continu, uh, a continuation of the covenant promises mm-hmm. to their offspring and then finally number three circumcision is the new covenant son, or, uh, was the old covenant sign that now baptism replaces in the New covenant yeah um, and critically, what causes you to belong to the covenant is your being born into the family, birthright. In, birthright. It is baptism. Then for for infants is not them becoming members of the covenant, but they already were. Mm-hmm. This is just a, the formal the declaration, sign, is just the to sign that. and then the seal. Yeah. Um, so those would be the three defenses. The th- the the catechism then maintains that threefold right of children, of Christians, to be baptized. Mm -hmm. So, Ryan. (laughs) Where do we start? Where do we start? Because this is the one area that I think we would draw distinction. And we want to do so carefully. We want to do so generously. Mm -hmm. We want to do so biblically. Right. So so how how do we do that?
1: Yeah. Maybe starting at the end there, um, the claim was made baptism is the new covenant sign that replaces circumcision, the old covenant sign. Mm -hmm. And the Heidelberg footnotes cites Colossians 2, 11 through 13. I think that's a good place to start. That's good. We would recognize there are important um, elements of continuity between the old covenant and the new covenant, but we would also highlight and emphasize there are some major differences as well. So it's not just a one-to-one, you know, baptism Mm -hmm. just comes in and replaces circumcision and everything else remains the same. There, There is something new about the new covenant and not so new that it's not anticipated or foretold or pointed to in the old covenant. It's not like God does a 180 and says, all right, I I was trying it this way. It failed work. Yeah. That's good. That is one danger to guard against is that thought of like old covenant was works, legalism, law, new covenant. God says, scrap that, that didn't work. Um, and it was all just, you know, a trick anyway, because mm-hmm. I knew you couldn't do it. So now we're going to go this route. No, we, we believe there's grace in the old covenant, uh, but in the new covenant and, and the old points to this when the old is already anticipating, even that sign of circumcision is pointing to Not the outward circumcision of the flesh, but the need for an internal change worked by the Spirit of God, a circumcision of the heart. The heart has to change. That's good. And what's the promise of the new covenant? Well, we're told explicitly in places like Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant that I'm going to make. I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to write my laws on your heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you, and I'm going to cause you to be careful to walk in all of my ways. Mm. So it's it's not again that God's moral law is changing or his requirements of obedience change. He still causes people to live by faith, but he's he's promising that internal work of the Spirit causing regeneration, yeah. sanctification. So uh, to go to Colossians two, this is really just as you as we turn there,
0: this is so important because that that helps us as we think of the differences between the old and new are not black and white. Yeah, it, it's a it's the difference between like a seed. And the tree, yeah, it, it's a, it's actually a deepening, a broadening, a uh, a more beautifying, maturing, maturing, gro- yeah. growing of the promises God made to Abraham, mm-hmm. and all the way back in the garden, the promises He made. This now in the new covenant in Christ, which is the critical point. In Christ, now those promises explode, mm-hmm. uh, and. Because of that, some things change, but not, like you said, not in a 180, like, mm-hmm. well, that failed, let's try something else, rather in a, well, this is what it was always
1: intended, and now it's come to fruition because of Christ. Yeah. So that's important. Right, yep. And so because of Colossians 2, we would agree baptism is... There's a correlation between circumcision and baptism, old, old covenant sign, new covenant sign. Yes. Yes, but there's a difference too, and the text itself, I think, makes this clear. When you read Colossians 2, starting verse 11... Uh, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So there Paul's introducing that language, the circumcision of Christ. What is that? When he can look, address the whole church there in Colossae and say, you were circumcised with this circumcision made without hands. What was that? Well, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul calls it a kind of circumcision. He says, when did that happen? When you were baptized. When you were baptized in Christ, you received the circumcision of Christ, putting off your body of sin, the flesh, and you've been united to Christ. Mm. I think it's Wayne Grudem who points out, if you take that text and you ask, can, can I say all of that to a baptized infant who's not trusting in Christ. Is, is all of this true of a baptized infant? Um, take these phrases, uh, buried with him, raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, yeah. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. Then you're into the realm of baptismal regeneration, right. where you you have to say baptism regenerated th- this child. Their sins are all forgiven; they are all washed away. Not that you know we're, we're trusting they're going to put their faith in Jesus one day. You're saying they do believe. That's what Paul says here in baptism. You were united to Christ through faith in the powerful working That's of right. God. In that, just textually, again, we want to make our case from from the text
0: textually. Paul here just so connects our faith and not just faith not the potential of faith but right. the act, like what he says and God made alive together with him having forgiven us our trespasses that there's a forgive there is regeneration that's taking place he is connecting that mm-hmm. in a in a way to baptism that we would find to be inseparable mm-hmm. uh, not that the act of baptism is doing the forgiveness of sins, because he says, "Having already been forgiven of your sins, mm-hmm. you are now united to him in baptism." Um, so again, that that passage, you know, we want to follow that where it, where it leads. Mm-hmm. And as you say, if, if you were to apply what is said here to an infant, it would be you, you'd be hard to avoid something like baptismal regeneration, which means. The The act of baptism, whether to an adult or to a, an mm-hmm. infant, does the saving, does the effectual right. re- regeneration.
1: Yeah. Now they're saved apart from faith. That's right. Because they've been baptized. I, I think that's a, a danger you just can't avoid there. So that's dealing with uh, Colossians 2, the connection between baptism and circumcision. Um, another aspect of the Heidelberg in that commentary you're mentioning there is... Uh, the extension of promises to children. Yes. Um, and so the old covenant is cited. God made promises to Abraham and to his offspring. And we would say, yes, yes, he amen. Did. And it's an everlasting covenant. Yes. And we would say, yes, and amen. Yep. So one passage, um, and you know, this is the text you preach on baptism. And like you said, you can't say everything every time about all there is to say. <laughs> um, and one of the pieces in this text that... We didn't really get into was Acts 2 um, is it 30, 39. Yes. For the promise is Peter when he gets up and he's calling that crowd to repent and be baptized. And then he says to them, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So the Pato Baptist position would say, See right there, Peter explicitly says the promise is for you and for your children. Yeah. Uh, and he does. What does that mean? And here's where exegetically, uh, we think that Peter's saying something different than your children should also be baptized right now. Right. This is not a connection to that Genesis... Abraham promise of to you
0: and your children. It's not a we would say it's not a reinterpretation or a, a re-upping of that because of the text, which you'll say
1: right because like you just pointed out the the paedobaptist position is um, you are in the New Covenant as a birthright. If mm-hmm. your parents were believers, you are born into the New Covenant physically, your physical birth, your your bloodline descent then you're in. where whereas and we'll get into this a little bit with who are the children of Abraham. we believe in the New Covenant. New birth is what counts. So you are born into the new covenant through the regenerating new birth that the Holy Spirit produces when he causes you to be born again, raises you from the dead. But the exegesis of Acts 2, here's how it makes most sense, most helpful to me. Um, Take the whole statement. Peter says the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So what does it mean when it speaks of children? What does it mean when it speaks of those who are far off? I think in the paedo-baptist position, to be consistent, you'd have to take the rest of Peter's phrase and say, well, if it's, if it's for my children and they're born in by birthright, I also take that phrase, all who are far off, then we could baptize our unbelieving neighbors. We could right. baptize atheists. We could baptize Buddhists and Muslims on the other side of the world. We should just baptize people into the covenant so that they're in, because right. they are all who are far off, and baptism should just be applied to them. Right. Well, that would be inconsistent, and paedobaptists don't go there. They would just apply it to the children of believing parents. So what does it mean? I, I think if it, if it means what they think it means in the first half, it proves too much. It's one of those yeah. leads to an inconsistency That's in good. the end. Um, so we take it to mean Peter is saying this promise of the Holy Spirit and this promise of salvation is not limited to that place and time. He is extending it out in two aspects, time and space time. Mm -hmm. When he's talking about for your children and coming generations, this is not a promise just for those here, first century, those who were there on that day, this promise extends out into the future. And so here we are 2000 years later with confidence that promise, Peter stood up and preached to that crowd there, that promise is for us too. Mm. And we can preach that to our children and say, this is for you also. It's not limited by time. And then the other aspect of his phrase there is the geography, all those who are far off. So there, there's a time and space dimension to this, and Peter's saying, this is who the promise is for. People and, all everywhere and time." And again, exegetically, looking back
0: in the text, what is the promise? What is it? Well, the promise that Peter makes is... That to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And the promise, you then will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So the promise is this, repent, believe, be baptized. Yes. So that's, and if you repent and if you believed, you will be saved you'll have your forgiveness for your sins forgiven you will mm-hmm. receive christ's spirit that's the promise and he, his extension of it is not the, like the covenantal necessarily promises going out but rather it's he's, he's saying this is true now like you said for yeah. us today that's true it'll it will be true also for my children mm-hmm. that if they repent and believe they mm-hmm. can be baptized they can have their sins forgiven that that promise is true for them as well and for their children and for their children that it doesn't run out. It right. is not; ex- it is
1: exhaustive and goes in all directions. Yes. So we can affirm, because this is a big deal for paedo-baptists, you know, baptism assures our kids that this is for them. Mm-hmm. And we would say, we can preach the gospel to our kids confidently saying, this is for you. That's the right. gospel is for you. Jesus is for you. That's so right. trust in him and believe in him. And we don't have to baptize them first in order to give them that assurance, this is for you. Right. We're just we make that free offer of the gospel and call them to repentance and faith. So then I think um, the other aspect in there related to this of who are the offspring, because yes, God's covenantal language throughout the old covenant, he's, he's saying to, this is to Abraham, this is for you and your offspring and their offspring into future generations. An everlasting covenant. Yes. So who are the offspring of Abraham. It has something
0: changed? Because if it hasn't, then it so really the question is has any is what is continuous and what is not continuous. Right. What did what happened w- when Jesus came did, did what changed and what didn't. And so for us, I think it's important that we recognize that between Genesis 17 and us is the cross. Right. And not only do we have the cross, we have inspired speech. An inspired writing by the greatest one of the greatest minds that's ever lived, Paul of Tarsus, right. who gives commentary on this and helps us, takes us by the hand and say when we ask, like, okay, who can know what's the difference? He takes you by the hand and walks us through yeah like children.
1: Just he, here's you will you are gonna ask this. This is this he, and it's so <laughs> helpful. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so three passages come to mind. Uh one is Romans four, uh verses nine through seventeen. And Paul there is talking about the blessing of justification. He defines that in the earlier verses there in Romans 4. Essentially, the blessing of justification is having your sins forgiven. Mm -hmm. Incredible blessing. He quotes David, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven, whose lawless deeds are remembered no more. And then he asks in verse 9, Paul does, is this blessing, the blessing of justification, the forgiveness of your sins, is that then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it, and here's a timing question, was it before or after he had been circumcised? Hmm. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. And that's where we get the language of sacraments as signs and seals. That's right. Because Abraham received this as a sign and a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was uncircumcised. And the purpose, this is important, the purpose was to make him the father of who? Bloodline, descent, offspring only? No, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe Mm -hmm. without being circumcised. That, That is Gentiles. So people who are not physically descended from Abraham, God's purpose was to make Abraham the father of a multitude of nations, including people who were not born from his physical line, his and, lineage. And this became a
0: serious New Testament problem. Yes. In fact, the whole book of Galatians is dealing with this issue of, Yes. okay, great, Jesus expanded the covenant to the Gentiles, now what? Right. They In Galatians, Paul is fighting for the gospel because of this misunderstanding between Jew-Gentile relationship of, That's right. okay, great, you guys can become Christians, but first, because of these promises, you need to become Jews first mm-hmm. by doing the external mm-hmm. sacrament of, or the external process and the external sign of circumcision. circumcision. Yeah. And, and
1: Paul goes to blows to defend that, uh, to, right. to, to defend against that. Sorry, yes. yeah. So so that's the purpose, to make Abraham the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so Gentiles, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. They, they can be forgiven of their sins and justified, counted righteous in Christ. Verse 12, and to make him, Abraham, the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So circumcised or uncircumcised, Paul is saying, what matters is faith. Mm. That's it. Nobody can say, well, I was circumcised, so I'm good. He's saying, if you were circumcised, but you don't believe like Abraham, then Abraham is not your father. Mm. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring. So there it is. Did God make promises to offspring also? Yes. That promise that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherence of, if it is the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. That is, if it's just a physical descent birthright thing, then it's not about God's promise. It's just about Abraham's bloodline. And, and so there's no need for faith, there's no need for promise, all of that's null and void. Then you really do need to be circumcised, Yep. even in the New Testament. That's right. You have to be born into it. And verse 15, For the law brings wrath, but where there's no law, there's no transgression. That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. And then he quotes the promise, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. That that was the promise. God said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you the father of many nations in the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So so that's foundational to understanding how does the new covenant, like you said, the, the seed planted in the old covenant promise to Abraham, when that grows to maturity, what does it look like? And Paul's right. saying, here's what it looks like. It looks like people who are not physical descendants of Abraham being the children of Abraham because they share the faith of Abraham. I remember, Ryan, when we had first met, and I was still a,
0: a, a card-carrying member of the Pato Baptist Club, and I, I was really going to corner you, and I was going to make you see... <laughs> <laughs> I just remember you walked me through Romans 4, Romans 9, Galatians 3, and those just stuck in my craw because mm-hmm. I was just like, ah, okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, the, it, it's what you just read, uh, all you know seven verses or eight verses there. That's just difficult to systematize your way out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, the text is, it, it's, not, it's complicated, mm-hmm. if you will, but it's clear. Yeah. It's not easy and simple, but he does walk step by step by step to show you how what is how the Old Testament, in its beauty, but in its infancy, how Christ changed things for us now. And because the question for us is, well, okay, now what? Yeah. Because what that says for me is, I do belong. The promises of both the Old and the New Testament are for me, mm-hmm. because not because I was born into the bloodline of Abraham, but I belong to Abraham by faith. I share in his faith. And uh, Paul uses that language elsewhere in Mm -hmm. uh, places like, I'll I'll read this one, Galatians 3, 24 through 29, he says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are, here's that phrase, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to Promise. Yeah. So here again, Paul, and again, remember Paul's burden in Galatians is to defend against this external sign being the thing that That's right. unites you to Christ. No, it is only an ever... An on, and Paul's not saying that this is some new thing out of nowhere, but rather it's always been by faith. This That's has right. always been the marker. The reason why the promises were given to Abraham is because he believed by faith. Mm-hmm. God out of, picked him out of obscurity made promises to him and he believed them. That's it. That's it. And he it was, you know, uh, Genesis 15 and he believed and it was he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. The very phrase that Paul's going to pick up again in Romans chapter 3. So, it, it, you see the, the 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 great tapestry that is scripture being you start to like follow these threads and you back up and you see the majestic tapestry. You see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an, it, it really is breathtaking and should cause us, it should unify us. Mm-hmm. It should be the thing that binds us together and say, no, we belong to Christ yes. because of the what he's done for us and that has now in his
1: saving work has dealt with our sin and we now trust his promises because they're true for us by faith. Yeah. Amen. So Galatians 3 answers that question. Who are the offspring of Abraham? Did mm. God make promises to Abraham and his offspring? Yes. Who are the offspring of Abraham? Those who share the faith of Abraham. Mm. Galatians 3. You you believe you are sons of God and your offspring of Abraham and heirs of the promise, which means new covenant is not like God scraps those and says, right. you know, I made some, some promises to Abraham, but now we're done with that. And no, all the promises to Abraham are fulfilled in Christ and they belong to everybody who is united to Christ by faith. So like you said, it, it's complex, but clear. Paul's point is to single out faith. So what about somebody who is a physical descendant of Abraham has the external sign. They've been through all of that and they don't believe then D- that's not true for them what about a Gentile who did not descend from Abraham and has not been circumcised but they believe Paul says then they're in mm-hmm. circumcised or uncircumcised it's it's faith uh Romans 9 is the other passage we go to briefly a couple verses there six through eight it is not as though the word of God has failed Paul says for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel mm-hmm. that's an incredible statement yes God's talking about his promises to to Israel, and and then Paul's dealing with the fact that there are unbelievers in Israel, hmm. what does that mean? Did God, did, did he fail in his promises to them? Paul's answer is, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. That That hmm. is even more clear yeah. right there in verse 7. Just because you're his offspring doesn't mean you are children of Abraham, but, and then he quotes the Old Testament, when God told Abraham, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And he shows there, Abraham did have other children, but it was Isaac who was the child of the promise. And through Isaac, his offspring would be named. And so Paul's point, verse eight, this means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. It's the children of the promise who are counted as his offspring. Hmm. So again, those who share the faith of Abraham, that, that's how it's, it's traced. So I think that would kind of flesh out some of the exegetical reasons that we recognize there is important continuity between the old and new, but there are important discontinuities as yeah. well. And it's, it's, we need to remember, what is it that makes the difference? What is
0: it that switches it from the old to the new? It's Christ. Mm-hmm. Christ and him crucified. And for both the old, for, for Abraham, he, he looked forward to see... That that would be true for us. We look back to the to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it is true. That's and right. so it's for it's by faith for us. Oh man! So that that would be the main. Just to, as we flesh this out, that would be the the key difference between uh, we who practice believers' baptism. Which it's important to note, it's not that we practice adult baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, baptism is not for just adults. Baptism is for those who are united to Christ by faith. Mm-hmm. So. We believe in believers' baptism. Now, that that could be a teenager, that could be a, you know, a, a child, mm-hmm. depending on whether or not they are united to Christ. That is the difference, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to infant baptism, where we baptize the infant because the promises are true from their birth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Ryan, we had high hopes of getting a lot further. We- <laughs> <laughs> because one we, of the questions kind of knew this was going to be a two-part. we kind of knew yeah that we did go in with eyes a little squint I I did have my questions but one of the questions the driving question that I think we our aim is now answer next week in part two is what about those among us who at Emmaus, who grew up like I did who was baptized you know I was baptized eight days after I was born on Mother's Day uh and made profession of faith in high school. Which is just perfect, because really circumcision is. was well, to be done on the eighth we like day. to... You know Nancy, she likes to follow the rules here, so <laughs> <laughs> we, I, she had it scheduled. All my family was there. It was great. Uh, but what about those of, that are in our church that are hearing this and saying, wow, man, I love Emmaus. I love our community. I love our preaching and teaching and everything. I don't know where I stand on this. Or... I come from a tradition that's different than this. I was baptized as an infant, or my children were baptized as infants. And so this driving question, well, now what? Am I in? Am I not in? Do people look at me weird? Mm -hmm. What view should we, do we at Emmaus, have towards those who have been baptized as infants? Yeah, Um, That's a question that's really crucial for us, because Mm -hmm. it affects our fellowship. It affects what we... like. What we'll talk about next time is our catholicity, our unity, and our fellowship with not just individuals but with whole denominations. Mm-hmm. Um, so our aim in our and in, in the next podcast in part two will be to kind of deal with that question. Yeah. And again, the goal is to clarify and to unify and to encourage. So I hope we don't leave you like <laughs> at the end of this just like, What you can't <laughs> you can't just leave us <laughs> like that. Uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. We will we'll post another one next week answering some kind of the, some deep questions that follow.